A look at college football news, analysis, and insight from around the Big Ten Conference. This is Big Ten Paradigm, a part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network. Here's your host, Mark Rogers. Welcome in, everyone, to our first edition of Big Ten Paradigm. We are joining you, of course, on the College Football Coast to Coast platform. We are so happy, so honored to be asked by the folks at College Football Coast to Coast to join the network and talk Big Ten football with you each and every week. My name's Mark. I'm Mark Rogers, the voice of college football. You can join me on YouTube as well. Every day we upload content. We go live every day with you to talk college football, the game we all love and cherish. Best discussion, debate, and analysis. That's the aim. That's the goal. That's the mission. Every day there and here again, voice of college football on YouTube. This is the Big Ten Paradigm, and our mission here is to talk up. Big Ten fans, are you going to be mad at me right out of the gate here when I make this statement? The second best conference in college football, clearly the second best. I would love to be able to have a debate this offseason that there's controversy. There's a true debate over best conference We can't do that right now. There's no question that the SEC is the best conference. Just like there's no question right now, as it stands going into 2022, that the Big Ten is the second best conference. The ACC, the Big 12, the Pac-12 cannot compare to the Big Ten. But as it stands right now, and has for quite a long, long, long time, the Big Ten's the second best. The Big Ten cannot compare to the SEC, and that's a conversation, of course, we will have certainly as we get toward postseason play, see where the non-conference matchups stand up, bowl play, the playoffs, and then head into the offseason and evaluate that. But for right now, of course, we're focused on Big Ten play and a couple games that transpired over the weekend, and the big one that everyone is talking about because a hot seat in college football has become boiling, red hot, on fire, Inferno-like Scott Frost and Nebraska lose to Northwestern as a 12-and-a-half-point favorite. Wildcats 31, Huskers 28, and Nebraska even had, (laughs) they even had the, the pain, the insult of having to travel halfway around the world to lose a Big Ten game this year. So for the second consecutive Week zero, Nebraska loses as a heavy favorite last year to Illinois en route to a 3-9 and nine campaign. And now Scott Frost with another one-score loss. That's now 5-21 and 21 in one-score games for Nebraska under Scott Frost. Losing to the Wildcats, 31-28. And let's focus on the Nebraska side because that is the storyline in college football right now. Let's go to the onside kick. So if Scott Frost loses his job, which many believe he will, many believe that this game pretty much sealed the coffin. Even if he wins the next two games and then stumbles around against the likes of Oklahoma and the better teams in the Big Ten Western Division, that he's not going to survive 2022. He needed to win against What was one of the worst teams in the Big Ten last year? Could be a better team. We'll talk Northwestern here in a second. 
that he needed to win this game. My thought going into this season was that Scott Frost would retain his job definitely with eight wins. Eight and four would save the job. Five and seven would lose the job. Six and six, seven and five, that was the gray area. That was the let's take a deeper look. Let's evaluate further. Let's look at the recruiting. How's the recruiting going? Let's look at the losses and see how competitive Nebraska was. And if Nebraska could go, let's say, 7-5 and five, and lose to the better teams on the schedule in the manner in which they did last year at 7-5 and five and not 3-9, and nine, that Scott Frost would keep his job. So again, I thought 8-4 and four and 5-7 and seven were the bumpers and 6-6 six and 7-5 six and seven and five would give Trev Alberts pause to reflect and really diagnose the situation with the Nebraska football team. But let's take it to nine minutes left in the third quarter. Nebraska up 28-17. Anthony Grant had just rushed for a long touchdown run. And Scott Frost chooses to onside kick. Now, he took blame for it after the game. He said, had I... If I could go back and do it over, I would definitely not onside kick it. Let's understand that it's about execution as well. If the onside kick works and Nebraska goes on to win, then all is well. Nick Saban took a chance in the 2015 National Championship game. Sean Payton, Colts, St. Super Bowl, of course, famously, took a chance coming out of halftime, down a score, grabbed momentum, turned the game around. That seems to be the place in which you do that. Either you're onside kicking because you're down by a million points and you just need to desperately get back in the ballgame, or you've determined we can't stop them and we're down by a score, so we've got to flip the possession game and we've got a really good onside kick play that we've executed well in practice and we have confidence in the kicker and on the special teams to get it done regardless of that possibility Nebraska was in a situation in which they were up by 11 points Uh, they were down just before halftime they were down at halftime they had grabbed the lead and they had momentum already they didn't have to take back momentum And they also poorly executed the play as the ball was kicked to a running back, not an offensive lineman, to a running back. So poor play call, uh, poor decision by Scott Frost, and obviously not executed, and they go on to lose this game. We'll talk Nebraska football in the future weeks, obviously, uh, but Scott Frost with North Dakota State coming to Lincoln and then Georgia Southern pretty much can't win. Of course, they have to win the games on the scoreboard the next two weeks. But in terms of public opinion out there and amongst the media as well, Nebraska can't win. Scott Frost can't win the next two games. Uh, they have to be 2-1 and one when they line up against Oklahoma. And even 50 to nothing wins are not going to uh, gain him any favor. They've got to beat Oklahoma now. And we've seen in his tenure where they have struggled against the likes of Northern Illinois, South Alabama, Colorado, Rutgers. Yeah, Scott Frost, 5-21 in one-score games at Nebraska. Guess who has 
pretty much an opposite record in one-score games, well, that would be Pat Fitzgerald. Now 20-9 and nine since 2016 for Northwestern. Of course, the Wildcats have been doing this famous year up, year down, back and forth, and this would be the year to be up because the Wildcats were awful last year, losing to Nebraska by seven touchdowns. What a game for Northwestern. Ryan Holinsky at quarterback played a near-perfect game. He's not an ultra-talented guy. We know that uh, his most famous win was the one he engineered between the hedges at Georgia for South Carolina, a team that was 4-8 and eight eventually that upset a top-five Georgia team. And now he wins this game. And this may actually mean something because Northwestern has a chance to do something in a wide-open Big Ten Western Division. The defense at Northwestern, which has been the hallmark of Pat Fitzgerald, of course. He's a defensive guy, one of the great linebackers in Big Ten history. The defense has led Northwestern to the success under Pat Fitzgerald. Awful, deplorable, atrocious in 2021 with a new defensive coordinator after Mike Hankwitz stepped down. Maybe they worked that out, and um, Pat Fitzgerald said uh, here in the last few weeks that the defense would be much better, and it was. It wasn't great. Got off to a bad start. Casey Thompson was on fire in the first half, and Nebraska looked like the better, more talented, faster, more athletic team. And they probably still are, but they're 0-1 in the Big Ten, and Northwestern is 1-0. Will Nebraska bounce back? Really good coaches that know how to move and motivate their team will even take an excruciatingly difficult loss like this and be able to move it in the right direction in that locker room and get their team to fight. Scott Frost has not been able to do that in the past We have no reason to believe he's going to be able to do it with this team. They may be deflated the rest of the year. We'll keep an eye on Nebraska football and, of course, the hottest seat in America, which belongs to Scott Frost. Let's keep an eye on the Wildcats. That's a fun story right there. Northwestern starts at 1-0. Meanwhile, Jim Harbaugh has made a decision at Michigan concerning the quarterback situation. And his decision has been to not make a decision. (laughs) So, of course, uh, Cade McNamara led this team to a Big Ten championship and playoff appearance, win over Ohio State, despite not being the central focus of the offense. Of course, he was a distributor and is a distributor. That's who he is. J.J. McCarthy's the five-star who got packages built and run for him because of his unique skill set as a big-armed athletic quarterback but could never wrestle the way the the job away from Cade McNamara well Jim Harbaugh has announced that he's going to approach the quarterback competition this way Cade McNamara is starting week one against Colorado State J.J. McCarthy is starting week two against Hawaii Could there possibly be a pitfall to this type of decision? Well, I had suggested that the competition run through August camp and that 
if Jim Harbaugh wanted J.J. McCarthy to be the starting quarterback, that he would start him in week one because if he gives this job or the job is legitimately won by Kate McNamara, he's most likely not going to lose the job. He's not going to give it up through poor decisions, poor plays. So we'll see how this plays out. It should be interesting. McNamara week one, J.J. week two. The quarterback battle at Michigan continues. They've got another cream puff in week three. We'll see what the decision is there uh, with uh, Michigan taking on Connecticut, the mighty Huskies of Jim Mora in week three before they dive into Big Ten play. All right, let's get to the week's, uh, this week's games and the headliner. Number five, Notre Dame at number two, Ohio State. The Buckeyes, a big 15-point favorite. Jim Knowles' defense, this is the central focus of this, not just the game, but the Ohio State season. We know that the offense is probably the best in college football, but that the defense needs to be much improved for the Buckeyes to get back to the top of the Big Ten and also get to a point where they are expected to be nationally. They're the number two ranked team across the board by almost every publication, by the coaches, by the AP. But Jim Knowles needs to fix the defense. Let's note at Oklahoma State, uh, the defensive performances regressed in his first two seasons before they improved and ultimately became a top five defense in the nation. I am so intrigued by this storyline of Jim Knowles taking over the Ohio State defense. JT, Tui Molawau, Jack Sawyer, our two five stars, now have a full year in the program, go into their sophomore season. Zach Harrison has been an underachiever as a five star coming off the edge. The Buckeyes could have a wrecking crew defensive line, but they've underachieved there. The linebackers should be the best that they've been. The most athletic, certainly, since 2016. Ronnie Hickman at safety. The two five-stars coming in and C.J. Hicks and Sonny Styles. The Ohio State defense is intriguing. The offense, number one in the country in points and in yardage last year. But let's keep in mind, they didn't necessarily tear Nebraska to shreds. Oregon, well... Statistically, they did, but they just stayed on the sidelines because Oregon kept the football away, and they only only scored 28 points against Oregon, 27 against Michigan. I am most intrigued by trench warfare in this game. Notre Dame is physical, if nothing else, maybe not as fast or as athletic as Ohio State. I think that's understood across the board. However, Notre Dame always boasts one of the best offensive lines in the country, and this one will be right there, led by Jared Patterson. Uh, The defensive line is stellar as well. Isaiah Foskey coming off the edge and others. Well, the Ohio State issue in 2021 was getting pushed off the ball defensively, and then the offensive line not moving Michigan in the ground game when it counted in Ann Arbor. If Notre Dame muscles Ohio State up front on both sides of the ball, they will win in Columbus. The Buckeyes will stay in the game because they're just that talented on the perimeter and at the quarterback position. But football is still a collision sport. It's still a man's sport. 
and Ohio State did not man up last season. Brian Kelly lost big games. Will Marcus Freeman win big games? Brian Kelly won in six against top five opponents, four and 11 against top 10 opponents. Again, Marcus Freeman in his first performance in the Fiesta Bowl was not able to get that done. Tony Gerdeman of Buckeye Huddle and Brian Driscoll of Irish Breakdown join me on our Buckeyes live show, which we bring you every Wednesday at 1.30 Eastern time on our Voice of College Football Ohio State channel. So if we just take two of the best programs and teams in the country, put them together, everybody's geeked up and ready to see that game. But is there more to it than that? Is there more to it because of the the proximity of the schools more to it because of Marcus Freeman now being the head coach, Brian, is there more to it because these are two of the very pillars of the sport, all those things uh, make it even better, bigger, more hyped than it would be otherwise. Oh, absolutely. I think the Marcus Freeman aspect is a part of it. You know, his basically de facto linebackers coach is a former All-American linebacker at Ohio State, James Laronitis, who's a GA at Notre Dame. But anyone that's been into practice knows that Al Golden's kind of being the D coordinator and James Laronitis is spending a lot of time with the linebackers. So there's obviously that aspect to it. There's a lot of Ohio guys on their Rams coaching staff. Obviously, Al Washington's an Ohio guy. Mike Mickens is an Ohio guy. So I think those are aspects. And I think the fact, too, that these teams, as as with all the tradition that Notre Dame and Ohio State have, they've rarely ever played. I mean, in my lifetime, and I was born in 1978, they've played, I think, twice, right, or three times, excuse me. Oh, no, in the regular season. I'm talking regular season. They've had a oh. couple bowl games. They had the 05 bowl game in the, in the Fiesta Bowl and then obviously played it again in 2015. I'm talking like regular season. They just don't play that often. And when you think about the the location and all, you know, the fact that Notre Dame used to recruit Ohio a ton under the Lou Holtz era. And obviously, you know, for Jerry Faust, for all his issues, he recruited a lot of Ohio kids to Notre Dame in the, in the early 80s. So it's just one of those things is, you know, I'm a Northwest Ohio guy and growing up a Notre Dame fan. And you're like, why don't these two teams play? You know, I grew up in Lyman. It's like right in between the two of them. And it's like, why don't they play? It's just been the, it's been the aspect of it. So I think there's that. There's also that sort of that uniqueness. This isn't a matchup that we're going to see. Like if, if you know, Michigan and Notre Dame were playing in the opener and Michigan's coming off of a playoff appearance and Big Ten championship and all that's like, yeah, okay. But we've seen this before, right? We've seen this story before. This has so much more intrigue. And, and honestly, for Notre Dame, guys, it's big because before you get to beating, to passing Clemson and Georgia and Alabama, if you're trying to become the premier program, you got to first become the premier program in the Midwest. And right now, that's Ohio State. So beating them on the recruiting trail is part of it, but you got to prove you can beat them on the field. So, you know, if you're if you're talking about that matchup from a Notre Dame standpoint, you know, you, you've got to be able to do something against the Buckeyes because, what, they're 0-4 in my lifetime against Ohio State. So you've got to be able to prove you can beat them before you can start saying, hey, you know, Alabama, here we come. Like, oh, okay, cool. But you you, you got this team in Columbus you got to beat first. Yeah, I was a student at Ohio State in 94, 95, 96, and then 97, 98, 99, and 2000. Um, That's a joke. I was only there for four and a half years. But I I remember the when that was announced, like Ohio State and Notre Dame were going to be playing years in advance, obviously, and and knowing that I was going to be a student there when that was going on, that that was a huge deal to have Notre Dame come to Ohio Stadium, and it was was an amazing experience. And... the years flew by as you're waiting for that, you know, like this is, this is going to happen. And when this was announced again, it's like, 
you, this is something you look forward to. I don't know that either team is looking forward to it being the season opener. I think both programs would prefer it to be, you know, game two, game three, something like that. And I'm, I'm just interested in, in, in your thoughts on this being a season opener, a a career opener for Marcus Freeman. It, it's a tough way to open the season against Ohio State on the road and dealing with all of the expectations and uh, let alone scheming and, and dealing with Ohio State's offense and and all of that. Like, what what are your thoughts on this being the opener for Notre Dame? I like it, to be honest with you. I feel like if Ohio State's your number two, then you're going to spend the whole whole fall camp trying to pretend like you care about the oh, – we only care about the next team on our opponent. No, you don't care about New Mexico. You care about Ohio State, right? I think there's that aspect to it. And I think there's the gamesmanship. Look, I'm, I'm a former coach, and I think there's always some gamesmanship to it. Like, okay, you know, we've got a new defensive coordinator just like you do, but like we just spent the whole bowl prep, prep session breaking down that defensive coordinator's film where – our defensive coordinator hasn't called a game since 2005, right? So, I mean, there's not a lot of film that, you know, going to go watch Bengal film, you know, from last year. I think there's that. And, you know, there's some a new starter quarterback. You know, you don't want to give him a ton of film of what a Tyler Buckner-led offense is going to look like. So there's that gamesmanship to it as well. But I honestly think sometimes having a game like that in game two or game three, if there's kind of cakewalk games, you know, let's say you were to put, you know, Toledo and – Who's what, who, Arkansas State beforehand, you run the risk then of are your guys really locked in for that game? You know, for Notre Dame, you know, they played Marshall and Cal. If you had Marshall and Cal before that, are they really locked in for Marshall and Cal? And, you know, then all of a sudden, next thing you know, you know, you're Notre Dame playing Toledo and you've got Purdue coming up and Wisconsin coming up and you don't take Toledo as serious as you need to. And then you're needing a four quarter drive to go down and beat them, right? And, and so I kind of like the idea of it from a Notre Dame standpoint, uh, you know, I, I think it's a positive, you know, and it's, and, and also there's a notion, look, get that game out of the way, win or lose. <laughs> right. And then now you can focus on really building your team and getting ready for, you know, that October, November stretch, which is going to be pretty challenging for Notre Dame. Well, and for either team, win or lose, I don't, this game isn't going to devastate either of them. Only because, if it's a blowout, I think. Right. Right. I think and, that's and, the only way. Right. And you have the entire season to build back on it. And we see teams, you know, not everybody goes undefeated. And, right. and there are plenty of one loss teams in the playoffs. So I, that's why I love these games because people, I, I can't stand the scheduling where you schedule yourself to go undefeated and, and you don't really like just, it's okay to have a loss. I mean, especially right. now with a 14 playoff, it's okay. And then you also grow from it. Uh, right. I do like the idea of just the mystery aspect yeah of Notre Dame because you get to see a little 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 a little bit of what to expect from the offense but um yeah you, you don't so really are, are you lot. saying you you wouldn't be excited about starting your season against Colorado State Hawaii and Yukon that no, doesn't excite I, you that's not a challenging schedule to get you no look I think it's great for the game. those three Brian yeah mm. uh, I don't know some garbage team from up north that I think all of us that's the one thing we can unify around is that despising that program and its head coach and and all of its fan base, but I think it's good for your team too. I do. I think that when you have that challenge again, because to your to your point, I mean, Ohio State's won what one national title in the BC in the in the playoff era happened in a year where they lost by fourteen points in the second or third game of the year at home to a team that went seven and six, right? But you learn lessons from that game, and then you go build. I mean, in twenty seventeen, Notre Dame lost to Georgia in the second game of the year. They that game was even though they lost. Notre Dame's players came out of the game like, look, we just went toe-to-toe with Georgia and we didn't play well. We should have, we should have 
beat them. And and that kind of the confidence level that they came out of that game. It's like a week later they went out and hung 500 plus rushing yards on Boston College, and then a week after that they went out and beat a, a 10 win Michigan State team 38 to 18, and it wasn't that close of a game. And they just steamrolled everybody else. If they had to beat Georgia State that weekend, I don't know if Notre Dame comes out of that game with the same confidence. You look at Ohio State last year against Oregon. You had some warts exposed in that game. Well, if they don't get exposed until maybe later in the year in a game that matters a little bit more on the committee's standpoint, if you don't have that Oregon game. So, you know, I think games like that are, are, are great. I wish we saw more of them. And props to Ohio State for not pulling an Alabama and saying we're going to have it on a neutral field, right? I mean, this is good for college football, and, and it's, it's good to see teams go on the road, play home and homes, and say, hey, we're going to challenge ourselves early. It's going to be a test for us. We're going to find out where we're strong. We're going to find out some areas maybe we're not as strong. But I promise you this, by the time we go play Penn State, the time we go play Ohio, you know, Michigan, Ohio State's warts are going to be fixed. Notre Dame, by the time we get Clemson in November, and by the time we go out to L.A. to play USC, we're going to have a lot of time to kind of fix these issues because we kind of saw who we were at the beginning. Because the goal for Ohio State's, I would believe, is still to compete for and win a championship, right? And that's what Notre Dame is trying to do. And you don't you don't evaluate yourself based on what you do against North Carolina or a depleted Stanford team or Indiana or Minnesota, teams like that. You do it by saying we're playing other similar caliber teams and, you know, we're going to learn about ourselves from that. That's going to help us get ready to be sure to, to be ready to do what we need to do in October, November. I know Ohio State, Minnesota was a nice game to open the Big Ten season on a Thursday night in 2021, but... In regards to midweek Big Ten openers, this might be the best in the history of the conference. Penn State at Purdue. Boilers coming off a nice 9-4 and four season. That remarkable Music City Bowl win over Tennessee. Aiden O'Connell throwing for a zillion yards against everybody down the stretch. 28 touchdowns, 11 picks, 72% completion percentage. No Ronnie Bell. No Milton Wright, no George Karloftis on the defensive side for the Boilers. Payne Durham coming back at tight end, 45 catches. Purdue will not run the ball, and everybody should run the ball if they want to be a good top-level team competing for a conference championship. But if there's a team that doesn't have to run the ball, it's probably Purdue. But it's not Penn State. Penn State couldn't run the ball last year. This is Penn State. For goodness sakes, the offensive line has to be better. Kevontae Lee led the team in rushing. But again, this Penn State offense, 117th on the ground. Jahan Dodson's gone, but Parker Washington, 64 catches. Keandre Lambert-Smith, two of the best in the Big Ten. Sean Clifford cannot be your major running threat. He's mobile, he's a gamer, but he got beat up last year. He's healthy, comes back for a sixth season. He's led this team to a Cotton Bowl win. He's led them to a, some nice seasons. I know he is not the most favored son in Penn State football lore, but Sean Clifford's a good quarterback. Penn State-Purdue. Wow, I love this game. Penn State lost a lot of NFL defenders. I believed that this was the most talented defense in the Big Ten, one of the best in the country last year. They lost a lot to the NFL, but they've got a ton of NFL players still on this team. And in the secondary, Joey Porter and Jair Brown are two of the guys that are going to be counted upon to hold down that Penn State or that uh, Purdue passing attack. 
We got Tim Aiden, Marty Lee from Black Shoe Diaries. They joined me a few weeks ago to break down Penn State Purdue. Yeah, I didn't next thing to the fold to help a lot. And then something we we even talked about this last year on the post game show, uh, kind of previewing Nick Singleton was hopefully. And Tim, this you, you touched on this just now with Kevon Lee. If you end up Thunder and Lightning, let Kevon Lee go back to being the Thunder. Give me three, four, five yards and fall forward. And my hope is with Nick Singleton on the fold, maybe Lee doesn't feel that need to be that home run threat that he might have felt last year, and that could pay off for Penn State. You know, if Lee. Takes the ball, does what he does best, which is give me three yards, run a linebacker over, take an extra yard, yard and a half, fall forward, and let's go. And, and you know, next thing when your home run guy, that can really pay off for Penn State. Defensively, I agree, linebacker is my biggest concern. I think the defense line and the secondary both be excellent. I think linebacker can be solid if they stay healthy. That's a big if, especially because they only have, what, five or six scholarship linebackers at this point. But, yeah, it's – the, the, the abilities there for Penn State to bounce back this season, I think they will be better than last season. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, go out there in the fields on Saturdays or if against Purdue on a Thursday night, and you got to prove it, you know? Maybe roll out a 4-2-4 or was it? Or 4-2-5 defense. Yeah, it, won't, it won't surprise me to see the 4-2-5 as the base because if you look at Man Diaz, they the Miami, and you look at Penn State's defense, you know, you have Joey Porter Jr., and Kalen King is your quarterbacks, and Daquan Hardy is your nickelback. They're three of your best defensive players anyway. So roll those guys out there with, with Tig Brown, who about safety, and Curtis Jacobs, and either Kobe King or uh, Tyler Elston and Mike as your two linebackers. That's probably your best defense anyway. So we got to kind of wait till it shakes out. But yeah, I won't be surprised at all if we see Penn State run a 4 2 5 as their main base defense this year. Wrapping up the rest of week one in the Big Ten, we got New Mexico State, one of the worst teams in FBS football over the past several years at Minnesota. Kirk Sharaka back in the fold as offensive coordinator in Minneapolis, and that's good news for Tanner Morgan in particular. He threw 30 touchdowns in a Kirk Sharaka offense as the Gophers went 11 and 2 in 2019. 9-4 wasn't too bad, but that was defense-driven. Seven starters back from one of the best defenses in the Big Ten. Mo Ibrahim is going to be welcomed back as well. The last time we saw Mo, he was mowing down some Buckeyes uh, in the opener in Minneapolis last year in New Mexico State at Minnesota on a Thursday. Turning the page to Friday in the Big Ten. Western Michigan at Michigan State. Peyton Thorne's back. Jaden Reed's back. Oh, Kenneth Walker, not back. Running back by committee, probably led, though, by Jalen Berger, the former Badger. Ran for almost 400 yards in his Wisconsin career. And Jarek Broussard, 1,500 yards plus seven touchdowns as a Colorado buff. Also on Friday night, we open Big Ten play with Illinois-Indiana. The Fighting Illini with a win under their belts for a second consecutive year in Week 0. This time, Tommy DeVito, the former Syracuse quarterback, 27-37 against Wyoming, a couple touchdowns. Chase Brown, 151 on the ground and two touchdowns. The Illini defense held the Cowboys to 212 yards in addition to just six points. Don't forget about Illinois. When they were good last year and playing Illinois football, Brett Bielema football, they beat up on Minnesota, Penn State, and Nebraska. Indiana, Indiana. Injury plagued a 2021 season 2-10. Michael Penix out. Connor Baslick in from 
Mizzou, high percentage thrower, but too many picks to touchdown passes. The 30th rated recruiting class is one of the best in Indiana history. May have an impact on this season, but certainly the offense has to get better. Last in the Big Ten, scored less than 15 points in 8 of 12 games. On to Saturday's play, Colorado State at Michigan. We talked about the quarterback battle between McNamara and McCarthy at Michigan for the 8th-ranked Wolverines. Let's look at the running backs, though. Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards. Yes, Hassan Haskins is going to be missed between the tackles, but these two will form a more dynamic pair. The last time we saw Colorado State and Michigan on the same field, the 1994 Holiday Bowl. A little look back there. And uh, our homage to one Todd Collins Holiday Bowl MVP. And, of course, he played many years in the NFL. South Dakota State at Iowa. Defense and special teams led Iowa once again, of course, and on to a Big Ten Western Division Championship in 21, but also the 123rd rated offense was the big reason they only scored single digits against Purdue, Wisconsin, and Michigan. They're thin at receiver. Uh, Spencer Petras has to improve on a 10-touchdown, 9-interception year from 2021. Buffalo at Maryland. The Terps coming off their first bowl win since 2010, first winning season since 2014. Tua Tungavailoa, make that Talia Tungavailoa, of course. And the passing attack with the Terps, probably one of the top three or four aerial attacks in the Big Ten. Rutgers at BC, the Scarlet Knights, they made a bowl game last year, albeit through the back door at 5-7, and seven, finished at 5-8 and eight with a big loss to Wake. In said bowl game, the Gator Bowl, taking on a BC team that is a dark horse to make some noise in the ACC with Phil Jerkovic at quarterback and Jeff Halfley, uh, an aspiring, one of the best young coaches in college football. Greg Schiano knows how to build a program, but he's still trying to acquire talent in Piscataway. North Dakota at Nebraska. Ugh. <laughs> Nebraska can't win here. We talked about that earlier. Let's see if they can improve the tackling on defense. They gave up 500-plus yards to a Northwestern offense that we truly don't believe is going to be one of the best around. Illinois State of Wisconsin, Braylon Allen, what a season the freshman had last year. Uh, Graham Mertz, though, it's his time. Time to shine, time to step up and be a big-time quarterback as the former five-star gets the starting nod once again in Madison. Thank you so much for joining us for Big Ten Paradigm. Our first edition is in the books. We're going to upload this podcast each and every Monday. We hope you'll join us as we recap every football weekend in the Big Ten and look forward to more football in the Big Ten throughout 2022. In the meantime, join us at the Voice of College Football on YouTube every day. Uh, We are uploading new content and going live with you. We take your comments and questions, and we take your calls as well. We've got a 24, yeah, 24 consecutive hours, 24-hour marathon starting Thursday, bright and early, or maybe dark and early at 4 a.m. Eastern time. Yes, a 24-hour marathon. Join us at the Voice of College Football Thursday at 4 And we'll see you back here on Big Ten Paradigm next Monday.